right, we're going to get started tonight. We're talking about biblical principles for financial uh, success. Um, been uh, using uh, quite a bit of material from a book, uh, Solomon's Seven Secrets to Financial Success, uh, using a little bit of Dave Ramsey stuff, and using a little bit of Mike Benson stuff. So all of those to put together. Uh, Hopefully you're getting something out of it. How many's done anything with what you've received already? You've done something with what you've received. Uh, how many of you've done a little more than something? You've done a quite a bit with it. All right. How many've done a whole lot with what you've received? You went on a whole lot with it. Okay. At least you're honest. All right. So, but we're heading the right direction, right? Okay. Uh, before we get uh, started tonight about are talking about tonight's lesson. I want to read you something. Uh, it's an article uh, on former Baltimore Ravens cornerback Chris McAllister. Anybody know who Chris McAllister is? You know who Chris McAllister is? You know who Chris McAllister is? Or, okay. All right. So I'm just reading this article. It says former Ravens uh, defensive back Chris McAllister. Claims he is already broke. Three-time Pro Bowl cornerback Chris McAllister has only been out of football for a year, and already he's telling the court system that he's broke. McAllister is locked up in a child support battle with his ex-wife Marlene and is trying to get his child support payments lowered. He currently owes her $11,000 per month. Nice child support, huh? But probably the right amount for a man that makes $10 million a year, right? Okay. Probably, it's probably low. Um, in documents filed to the court, claims he cannot pay her because he doesn't have any money. In the documents, Chris, a first-round NFL draft pick in 1999 who played in the league for 10 years, states, I have been unemployed since 2009. I have no income. Oh, poor baby. He adds, I live in my parents' home. My parents provide me with my basic living expenses as I do not have the funds to do so. The dude can't even buy shampoo. This is a guy who's only been out of the game, I'm reading now, this is a guy who's only been out of the game for one year. Uh, the writer in this article says, who's giving him financial advice? Rick Flair. McAllister's not even officially retired. He spent... 10 years with the Ravens and was once considered one of the best corners in the game. He was with the Saints in 2009, but didn't see a lot of playing time before being released. In 2004, he signed a seven-year, $55 million contract. Now, some of that was money that he never saw as he was released after five years of the contract. So it wouldn't be accurate to say he completely squandered $55 million. But he did squander plenty. The signing bonus uh, was reportedly $10 million, and it also included a $7.5 million roster bonus for 2005. The year before he signed the contract, he made almost $6 million. The last two years of the $55 million contract, which McAllister didn't see, were worth $8 million each. So I did the math. So he got $10 million signing bonus. He got a $7.5 million roster bonus. And then he made $6 million, had a $6 million salary the year before his long-term contract. Add those three together, you get $23.5 million he was paid. Okay? Then he received a $55 million contract for seven years, but he did not play the last two years, so he didn't get paid for those two years. Those two years he was getting paid $8 million a year. So that's 8 million times 2 is 16. So I, took six, I, I subtracted 16 million from the $55 million uh, contract, and that leaves 39 million. So add 23.5 million 
to 39 million, and he actually received 62 and a half million dollars in six years. And one year later, he is living in his parents' home and cannot buy the daily necessities of life. So, what can we learn from this? Four lessons we can learn. It's in your notes. Four lessons we can learn from this article. I'm sure a lot of other lessons, but four lessons I'm going to bring out tonight. The first lesson is money alone won't make you happy. Money alone won't make you happy. A lot of people think if I just had enough money, I'd be happy. Money alone won't make you happy. Uh, This man proves it. Number one, he's divorced. Uh, Number two, his ex-wife has his kids. Number three, he lives with his parents. Do you think he's happy? Although he made, what did I say, $62.5 million. How many think that if you make $62.5 million, you ought to be able to just trust God for the rest? <laughs> All right, we learned money cannot make, money alone won't make you happy. I will go on record, though, as saying, and I have said it in the last few lessons, and that is the lack of money or struggling in the area of money can cause a lot of unhappiness. Okay? But money alone won't make you happy. Second lesson we can learn through this, uh, through this article that I read is money alone won't solve all your problems. Money alone won't solve all your problems. Again, he's divorced. His ex-wife has his kids. He lives with his parents. Did money solve all of his problems? No. Third lesson we can learn from this article that I read is the problem. Do you need an outline? Third lesson we can learn from the uh, article I read is the Uh, The the problem is not the amount. The problem is not the amount. Most people think their problem with money is they don't make enough. They think the problem they have is with the amount. And for somebody that's stocking groceries uh, at Albertsons or Walmart, that very well might be the case, okay? It very well, especially if they're married and got three kids, okay? That very well might be part of the problem. But for most people, the problem, financial problem, is not the amount. And the reason I say that is, is because there are other people who make the same amount or less and are doing well with it. This man made $62.5 million in six years, and yet one year after his uh, career was over, he supposedly is broke. He may be lying. He may be just trying to get, but surely not. I mean, my goodness. I mean, he's living with his parents. Um, but he made $62.5 million in six years. Um, how much is enough? How much is enough? No amount of money is enough for some people. Uh Let me ask you this question. Was the problem for this man in this article, was the problem with the top part of his money bag or the bottom part? Remember I read you that scripture where it said we put money in bags with holes in them? We talked about the fact that most most people, their problem is not the top of their money bag. The problem is the bottom of their money bag. Their, Their money bag has holes in it. And so if, the, if, you got, if you've got, okay, so if I've got, and I did this, but we've got brand new people for the very first time. Okay, so I got this money bag. I got this money bag, and it's got a big old hole in the bottom. Okay, so if I put a $100 in that money bag, how much is going to fall out? Well, okay, so I got a problem, so I need more money. So let me put $1,000 in that money bag. How much is going to fall out? Oh, well, my problem is I need more money. So I'm going to put $100,000 in that money bag. How much is going to fall out? 100000 So is the problem with the top of the money bag or the bottom of the money bag? 
for most people, the problem, and I already said, if you're stocking groceries for a living, you got three kids and a wife at home, you got a problem with the top of the money bag too, okay? But for most people, it's not the problem is not with the top of the money bag. The problem is the money bag has holes, holes in it. And so you got to discover where those holes are and, you know, and, and sew up the, the holes, right? Um, and, and it could be, you know, a myriad of things, uh, you know. But usually uh, it's mismanagement is the problem with most people's finances. Most people is the problem is mismanagement. Not that they don't make enough, it's they don't manage well. They don't manage well. All right, and then and that is the fourth lesson that we can learn uh, from this uh, article. That is, if you mismanage a little, you will what? You'll mismanage a lot. All right, so just uh, thought that was kind of interesting, and it goes right along with what we're talking about. So let's look at our uh, lesson number seven, uh, and there are eight lessons. Next Wednesday night will be the last Wednesday night, and of this uh, series of lessons. Please don't miss it. There's some really, really good things next Wednesday night. And uh, so don't miss next Wednesday night. Uh, But let's look at uh, Solomon's seventh secret for financial success. Solomon, what is your seventh secret for financial success? His answer is slow and steady. Slow and steady. Steady. Why are we always in a hurry? Uh, and, and, we, and we are always in a hurry. No matter what it is, we're always in a hurry. Uh, when we were little, uh, we wanted to be big. We wanted to be big. I'm the baby of the family, so, you know, I always wanted to be able to do what my big brothers did, you know. Uh, when we were little, we, we wanted to be big. Uh, we're always in a hurry. We want our fast food Faster, faster. Um, we can't enjoy, we can't even enjoy what we have now because we're too busy wishing for what we don't have, correct? Uh, we can't enjoy today because we're too busy hoping for a better tomorrow. When the fact of the matter is we have today what we wished for yesterday. Most people have today what they wished for Yesterday, uh, you know, yesterday we said, you know, if I only had this or that or something else, or if I could only be this or that or something else, or if this or that or something else would happen. When I'm saying yesterday, I don't literally mean 24 hours ago. I'm talking about in the past. But most of us have today, or at least much of what we have today, uh, is what we wished for yesterday. And yesterday we said that we would be happy tomorrow if this, that, or the other happened. Well, it did. And here we are today, which happens to be yesterday's tomorrow, with what we wished for yesterday. What we said yesterday would make us happy tomorrow, which is today, which we have. But here we are at tomorrow, which is today, which we wished for yesterday. But we're still not happy because we are doing today what we were doing yesterday. And that is wishing and hoping for a better tomorrow. And no, I'm not going to say that again. And I couldn't say it if I had to. How many understood what I said, though? And is it true? See, but the truth of the matter is the only way that tomorrow will be better than today is if we do something productive today. Somebody said, inch by inch, anything's a cinch. Too many people want something big to happen for them instantly. Well, nothing big will happen for you instantly. If you're in a big financial mess, you didn't get there in one day. And you won't get out of that mess in one day. You made, a, you made the mess a little bit at a time. A little here, a little there. A bad decision here, a wrong move there. You can get out of the mess. 
You can. No matter how, ma- how messy it is, no matter how bad it is, no matter how deep the hole is, you can get out of the mess. You can get out of the hole that you're in. But it's, it, you, didn't get it, you didn't dig the hole in one day, and you're not going to get out in one day. You didn't create the mess in one day, you're not going to get out of the mess in one day. And that doesn't matter if we're talking about finances, uh, marriage issues, uh, relationship issues, um, behavioral patterns, it don't matter what it is. You, 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 can never, you, you can never do something big, gigantic, all in one day. It is a process. It takes time. You will get out of it the same way you got into it a little at a time. How did Solomon, or what did Solomon have to say about this? Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 11. He says, wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappear, but wealth from hard work grows over time. This is God's plan. Seed, time, harvest. Seed, time, Harvest. You don't plant the seed and expect to harvest tomorrow, right? You don't plant the seed and go dig it up and see if it's growing. You got to plant the seed. But you've got to give the seed time to grow and then the harvest. Now, understand your seed might be money. It might be money that you've invested after you've paid all, you know, you've gotten debt free and gotten your finances in order. Now you're, now you're able to invest. Well, you know, you don't invest today and pull it out tomorrow. You don't, in, you don't invest in your, in, in your 401K. You don't invest in your mutual funds and, 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 and three years later decide you want to pull it out and go on vacation. Or you want to pull it out and buy your car. No, seed, time. You've got to plant the seed and you've got to give seed time to grow. You leave it. Your seed might be money. Your seed might be labor. Might be labor. Hard work over a long period of time. It might be an idea. It might be an invention. Seed, then time. Time for the seed to germinate. Time for the seed to grow. Then and only then does the harvest come. Proverbs 28 and 20 says, The trustworthy person will get a rich reward. But a person who wants quick riches will get into trouble. People who are in a hurry make more mistakes. They don't take time to think things through. They take bigger risks. Now, now there's nothing wrong with taking calculated risks. I'm not, I'm not teaching against taking risks. I'm, talking, I'm, I'm teaching against taking reckless risks, low percentage risks, rolling the dice, so to speak. There's nothing wrong with taking calculated risk. Truth is, everything new has, has its risk. Every investment has its risk. Every time we walk out of the house, we take a risk. Calculated risk is okay. What is a calculated risk? Risk after thinking something through. Not just using our mind and our brain, but also our mentor, that person that we trust, that person uh, that we have a relationship with that has their, that has their finances in order, that's doing well. Uh, risk is after, 
calculated risk is when we've thought something through, we've run it by our mentor, we've done our due diligence, we've done proper planning, we've done proper investigation. There's a degree of risk in everything we do. If we're not willing to take a risk, we would never get married. Because marriage is a risk. What if he or she isn't who I think they are? It's a risk. Well, let me tell you, they're not who you think they are. Anybody can be sweet for two hours on Friday night. Okay? They're not who you think they are. And this is not the marriage class. We just finished the marriage class. But they're not who you think they are. They are putting on the dog for you because they want you. The real person will show up after the wedding. Okay? So, if we aren't willing to take a risk, we would never have any kids. What if something happens in the pregnancy? What if something happens in the delivery? What if something happens to them after they are born? Parenting is risky. What if they look like Uncle George? <laughs> what, what, if ugly has, what if ugly has skipped the generation? <laughs> And it shows up in my kid. <laughs> Come on. I'm just having a little fun here. But it's true, isn't it, right? I mean, not that, but it's true. Parenting is a risk. No matter what we do or don't do in life, there is a certain amount of risk. I took a risk in coming here and becoming the pastor of this church 12 years ago. 12 years ago, the church didn't look anything like it looks today. Well, the opposite of that is that this church took a risk on me 12 years ago. What if the guy in the resume isn't the real guy? What if the guy that we interviewed just told us what we wanted to hear? I mean, everything's a risk, right? Calculated risk is okay. But people with the instant mentality... You know, like the commercial, the old commercial, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. These kinds of people will get themselves into a mountain of trouble. So, what is Solomon's seventh secret to financial success? Slow and steady. Here's what we need to understand, and that is we can't handle sudden wealth or sudden fame or sudden promotion. I didn't start out pastoring 600 people. I started out 42 years ago with nine little widow ladies ages 70 through 95 and two kids. I couldn't handle 600 people 42 years ago. I didn't know what to do with the 13 I had. Those poor people. Some of you are brand new to the church, so you haven't heard me tell this story umpteen, 50,000 times, so I get to tell it to you again. But uh, I preached an eloquent sermon one Sunday morning and uh, preached a great, deep theological truth from the Word of God. I'm teasing. I was 17 years old. After church, my wife said, Sweetheart, the Word is calamities. I preached on the Calamites. She said, honey, the, the word is not Calamites. The word is calamities. I said, no, the Bible talks about the Jebusites and the Canaanites and all those ites, and I discovered the Calamites. So you understand, I wasn't ready for 600 people 42 years ago. I couldn't handle the 13 I had. I couldn't handle a million-dollar budget 42 years ago. I couldn't handle six staff members six, 42 years ago. I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. 
I'm glad God didn't give it to me all at once. I'm glad that God took me from place to place, from ministry to ministry, to grow me, to grow me before he grew his church. God loved me and God loved his church too much to give me too much too fast. And God loves you too much to ruin you and wreck your life by giving you too much too quick. So stop grumbling and complaining if you are and whining and crying and singing the blues. God's getting you ready. Because he knows if he gives you too much too fast, you're going to be just like this NFL cornerback who was given $62.5 million in six years and one year later was broke, living in his mom and dad's house. People who get too much too fast get into trouble. That's what Solomon said in Proverbs 28 and 20 that we read a moment ago. And all you have to do is look around a little bit and you will see that this is true. We already read one, one illustration, but, but there, he's just one of many sports stars who grew up in poverty, who never had anything, but because they could run faster than anybody else, or they could catch the ball, or they could throw the ball faster than anybody else, or they had some kind of athletic ability that was above and beyond the norm, instantly they become a star, instantly make millions of dollars, but too many of them are just like Baltimore Ravens star Chris McAllister, broke even though they made over $62 million in, only, in, in six years. Proverbs 21 and 20 says, the fool spends everything he gets. And you don't have to be a million-dollar fool or a multi-million-dollar fool to be a fool. If you spend every dime you get, whether you're making $62.5 million in six years or you're making $36,000 a year working at the post office, the fool spends everything he gets. Now, I didn't call you a fool. I just read what, what the wisdom writer said, all right? Think about people like Michael Jackson and uh, way back, Elvis Presley and Marilyn Monroe and some of these people. Think, think about people who gained too much too soon, money, whether it was money, fame, notoriety for these, actually all three. Too much too soon is not, too, is not good for anyone. I personally, this is my personal opinion, but I personally don't think it's a bad thing for people to struggle a little bit. At least in the beginning. I'm not saying I I want you to struggle your whole life. I'm saying I don't think it's a bad thing for you to struggle a little bit in the early stages. I don't think it's a bad thing for young married couples to struggle a little bit. In the beginning, in the beginning... I'm glad I pastored nine little widow ladies. I'm glad I made $15 a week, lived in a shack, literally lived in a shack next door to the church. I'm glad I lived in the basement of a church for a year and a half in my early ministry. I'm glad. I'm I'm thankful for my struggles because it makes me appreciate what I have today. My past struggles are part of what makes me who I am today. My struggles taught me to to depend on God. My struggles and God sustaining me and providing for me and eventually leading me out of them revealed to me the faithfulness of God and his supernatural provision. See, unlike most young married couples today, I didn't have daddy's credit card when I was married at age 17. I couldn't call home and ask daddy to bail me out financially. I mean, I'm 17 years old. I'm married. And it's live or die, sink or swim. I mean, it's me, Dawn, and God. It's it. There is no backup plan. There is nobody behind. There is no, nobody on the bench to send in. I like the words of that old, and it dates me, but that old Andre Crouch song, Through It All, 
that if I never had a problem, I never know God could solve them. I never know what faith in God could do. Now, let me be quick to say, lest I make myself sound better than I, than I am or was, I wasn't necessarily thankful for my struggles at the time I was struggling. I'm not saying I, I said, whoop de doo I get to live in a shack next to the church. whoop de doo Well, everybody else is living in a three-bedroom, two-bath brick home. I get to live in the basement of the church. Woohoo! This is fun. I'm not saying, necessarily saying I said, whoopie-doo, the highlight of my week is hamburger helper. Hamburger helper helps the hamburger make a great meal. I mean, you don't know that one? Anybody know that? Even know what hamburger helper is? Huh? Ask my wife if she could get by with making hamburger helper today. No. Why? I don't have to eat Hamburger Helper today. <laughs> but there was a time that was one of the better meals we had, all right? I'm sure I did more than my share of grumbling and complaining back then. But today, looking back, I can say I'm thankful for the struggle. And I'm thankful those struggles are over. Now, I still have my share of struggles. They're just different kinds of struggles. All right, let's get back on track, back to our subject of becoming successful in the area of finances. Actually, I don't think we got off track very far. Hey, Solomon, richest man to ever live, wisest man to ever live, what is your seventh secret to financial success? The answer, slow and steady. You don't have to take huge risks to succeed financially. You don't have to make a lot of money to succeed financially. Remember the pastor I read to you about who never made more than $8,000 a year in his entire ministry, yet retired with over $1.5 million? How did he do it? Slow and steady. A little bit out of every single paycheck invested wisely for many years, plus a few good breaks. But let me tell you what I've learned. Breaks come to the wise and the prudent. Breaks come. Here's what else I've discovered. The harder I work, the luckier I get. The harder I work, the more breaks I get. You certainly don't have to do it all in one day, one year, or one decade. Slow and steady. John Quincy Adams, sixth president of the United States, said this, Patience and perseverance have a magical effect before which difficulties disappear and obstacles vanish. Remember the old story of the race between the tortoise and the hare? Who won? How did the turtle win? He won slow and steady, right? Slow and steady. Slow and steady. Now, if you look around, you might, it might seem like everyone else is winning with money and you are losing. But don't forget what we talked about last week. Most Americans today are playing pretend. They are playing make-believe. They have mortgaged their future in order to look successful today. It appears that they possess a lot, but the truth is a lot possesses them. They're just playing dress-up. They're just playing make-believe. It looks like they own a lot, but actually, they are owned by a lot. 
In fact, most Americans today don't own anything. Everything is mortgaged. They're not even paying for the hamburger they're eating. It's going on plastic. Another saying that I like to say is this. I'd rather drive an older car than have a new car driving me. Slow and steady. Pay as you go. Don't buy anything unless you can pay cash for it. Excluding your house. Hmm? Don't buy anything unless you can pay cash for it. (laughs) Excluding your house. Not including your car. Buy an old beater that everybody laughs at and makes fun of and points at you at the stop sign. Yes. Yes. Buy an old beater. And get your finances under control. See, here's what we've forgotten, and I've already covered this, but here's what we've forgotten. See, see, a vehicle is supposed to be transportation. Why is it turned into a status symbol? The automobile took the place of the horse and buggy. It is supposed to get you from point A to point B. That's the job of the automobile, not to be cool. Is there anything wrong with driving a cool car? Absolutely nothing wrong with it. Unless, instead of you driving the cool car, the cool car is driving you. It's it's driving you. It's making you get up early and stay late at work. Nothing wrong with driving a nice car. There is something wrong with a nice car driving you. There is something wrong with you paying three, four, five, six hundred dollars a month for a car payment, and and you got and you got uh, your credit cards maxed out. Something wrong with this picture. True story. I'm not lying to you now. <laughs> True story, I preach a, I preach a, a, a missions uh, banquet several years ago in East Texas. So I fly, actually I was living in Midland at the time. I fly in here, guy comes and picks me up. He's the youth pastor of the church where I'm going to go speak. He picks me up in the church van, blah, 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 long story short, you'll need all the details. <clears throat> he drives me by his house. And he, and, and he says, oh, by the way, this is where I live. And there was a gorgeous, I mean, beautiful car setting out in the, setting out in the, uh, in, in the driveway. And I called him by name, and I said, uh, I said, Jeff, is that your car? He said, yeah. I said, Jeff, that is a beautiful car. He said, I hate it. I said, you hate it? That is Beautiful, man. How could anybody hate that? I hate it. I said, you hate that car? Yeah. I said, why? He said, me and my wife can't go out to eat anymore. We can't go to the movie anymore. We can't go on vacation anymore. I said, how come? He said, because of that car and that car payment. Nothing wrong with having a nice, shiny, beautiful car. Nothing wrong with driving a nice car. There is something wrong when that car is driving you. Does that make sense? True story. Lady asked her husband, where are we going on vacation? He said, I'll tell you what we're doing for vacation. He said, we're going to sit out in our new car, and we're going to look at our new house. And then when we get tired of looking at our new house, we're going to go in the new house, and we're going to open the windows and look at our new car. You don't get it, do you? See, see, that's, that's the world we live in. That's America. They're not driving a car. The car's driving them. They don't have a life because they're too busy making a living. 
And I promise you, and I know you've heard it many times, but I've been there. I promise you, no one on their deathbed has ever regretted, or nobody on their, on their deathbed has ever said, I wish I had a nicer car. I wish I had a nicer house. Nobody on their deathbed has ever said, while they're laying in the hospital, pull the curtains and drive my new car up so I can, so I can look at my new car before I die. What do they say? Is, is Billy coming to see me? Is Sally coming to see me? We're so busy trying to live the American dream that is nothing more than a nightmare that we have no life. But here's the good thing is you can have both. You can have both. You can make a living to have a life both. But you've got to do it slow and steady. You've got to be smart. You've got to be willing to let your pride get beat up by, by, by getting rid of that, that car that's driving you. And taking that money, that you're, instead of the money that you've been spending on that car, get you an old beater that you don't have a payment on. Take the money you were paying on the payment and start paying it on that credit card. Get it paid off or whatever that, you remember the debt snowball on the lowest, whatever it is, maybe a credit card, maybe something else, but start paying those bills off. And, and the thing we need to also understand is it's temporary. It's temporary. What I'm teaching you as far as, as, far as uh, selling that car or whatever, it's temporary till you get things under control, till you get control of your life. Then you get things in order and get things paid off and then you can start adding those things in. But you don't do it with payments, you do it with cash. Cash. All right. All right. Mm, how'd I get off on that? Live on less than you make. Take what is left over, save some, invest some, give some. What is Solomon's seventh secret to financial success? Slow and steady. Most people have the first part right, slow. They're so slow they never get started. But don't forget the second part, steady. Steady means regular, reliable, consistent, habitual. Most of us are pretty steady with our eating, our sleeping, our recreation. If we would be as steady with our saving and our investing as we are with our eating, sleeping, resting, and playing, we would grow an incredible sum of money. Let me remind you one more time why we want to grow a nice sum of money. Anyone want to tell me why? Hmm? Financial freedom. Financial freedom. Because financial freedom gives us what? Options. Options. If I am financially free, I'm not a slave. Never forget Proverbs 22 and 7, the borrower is what? Servant to the lender. Debt makes me a slave. Slaves have no rights or privileges. They get up when they're told. They do what they are told. They live where they are told. They wear what they are told to wear. They eat what they are given to eat. Debt makes us a slave. Financial freedom releases us from slavery. It gives us options. It gives us choices. Financial freedom gives us the opportunity and the choice to do what we want to do and to give what we want to give and to go where we want to go. You might want to write this down. Speaking of debt, credit cards are detrimental to your health. Credit cards are detrimental to your health. You need to give your credit cards a plastectomy. <laughs> Means cut them up. Sure. Uh, zero. 
that would be the that would be the best. Um, why do you, I mean? Okay. I mean, all right. No, if you don't have credit, you don't pay any money on in interest. The question was asked for those of you that are listening: How many credit cards should you have? What is and and the and the real answer is zero. And he said, "Well, then, what was the the response?" And I know I'm not picking on you because everybody says the same. Go ahead. What was it? What did you say about the? You need credit. Okay, you need credit if you want to be in debt the rest of your life. You don't have to have a, a, you can have a, you can do that. And you need to listen to Dave Ramsey because he's the expert on that. Uh, but there, uh, go to Churchill Mortgage. That's who he, in, that's who he uh, endorses. And, and you can, here's our realtor back here. Do you have to have, yeah. All right, here's a realtor right here. And he's saying he would love for them to come in without any credit. Okay. All right. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So you need a credit card if you want to be in debt. If you don't want to be in debt, you don't need a credit card. And okay, we can't carry around big hunks of cash. So what do they have? A debit card. You can use a debit card for the same thing you can use a credit card. Now, I, will, I am a little bit of a hypocrite, okay? And I'm, but, but, I'm, but I'm an honest hypocrite. <laughs> I have one credit card that is paid off every single They hate me. My credit card hates me because we put everything on a credit card, pay it all off every single month, and we travel around the country on the miles we get from the credit card, okay? All right? Now, that sounds really cool, but they say that you're still going to spend more money doing it that way. Because remember what I took, remember, remember what I, the little illustration I gave you with the credit card? Whether you're getting a $4 Latte at, at Starbucks, can you still do it for four bucks? It's what? A swipe of the card. If I go through the grocery line and I have $200 in my grocery basket, it's what? With a credit card, it's still just a swipe of a card. So that didn't, that $4 and that 200 psychologically was the same thing. It's just a swipe of a card. Where if I had to get in my wallet, and, and I'd be in a hard time finding uh, that's all, what I have. So I'd have a heart. But if I got my wallet and, you know, I, I put out uh, $20, $20 bill. No, that would be, is that right? No, $10, $20 bills would be $200, okay? That would hurt me a lot worse. And so I might, I might put the Twinkies back <laughs> and, the, and the Oreos and, and, and the chips and the onion dip and, and the sodas, I might, okay? And they say that you spend a lot less money if you do it with cash. So I'm a little bit of a hypocrite, I'll just tell you. But we sure love, we sure love going places and not, have, and not have to spend any money for the airline miles. And, and it may be true. I don't know if it's true or not. Here's the thing I also know, though, is that when you're debt-free, and I'm, this is not bragging, I'm just telling you I live what I teach, and my wife and I, we live debt-free. And so when you live debt-free, see, you, it's okay to spend a little extra money because you know what? I have a little extra money. Okay, I've lived like no one else, so that now at my point in my life where I'm 60 now, I can live like no one else. See, that's what we don't understand. It's not. This is not a forever thing. It's until you get your th- house in order, you get things and your ducks in a row, and get your, everything lined up and whatever, and 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 then all the you know money's not going out the bottom of that bag. I mean, I'm in a wonderful, I'm in a sweet spot in my life, you know. I mean, because I'm 60. You know, got a great church, been in ministry 42 years, you know, so I'm at the, I'm in, you know, prime, I'm saying I'm in prime time of my, of my life. My kids are grown, you know, they're out of the house, they're grown, you know, college is paid for, all that stuff's behind me, all that stuff's back there, you know, uh, peak earning times in my life, everything's paid for. Well, guess what? Me and Mama, we can party a little bit, and I'm not even gonna—I'm not even gonna say I'm sorry. I'm not even gonna—I'm not even gonna feel bad about it, 
Because I did live in the basement of the church. I did live in the shack. I did take care of my finances. I did start saving and investing and being wise with finances 40 years ago. And so I'm reaping the benefits of it now. Okay? Not bragging. I'm just saying it works. But it, you know, 42 years ago, I did. The offering was $15. 15 $1 bills. That was my, my take-home pay. And I went home to a shack. Well, I don't go to home to a shack now, and I don't make $15 either. Okay? But that's what I'm trying to get through you, through you is that live like no one else now. Temporary. To get things under control. And then you can start adding those things in. And you can have a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. I think I'll make a movie. All right, so let me give you some reasons. Some reasons to get your finances in order. This is not in your notes, but just, you know, number one, good steward of God's property. We are, we've talked about this, but brand new people here for the first time. Good steward of God's property. We don't own anything. We're stewards. The Bible says we are stewards. A steward is a manager of somebody else's assets. Let me ask you this. How would you like it if you loaned your car to somebody? Out of the goodness of your heart, you loaned your car to somebody. And they took it out, and they got three fender benders. And they went to McDonald's for breakfast. And when they got done with their breakfast, they tossed their trash in the back seat. And then they went to Burger King for lunch. When they got done with their... They, they threw their burger wrappers with a little bit of onion left in it, in, you know, in the floorboard, you know. And, you know, they, they had your car for a week. And when they brought your car back to you, your car was dented and dirty and stinky. How would you like that? You wouldn't like it? Would you be a little ticked? Well, let me tell you something. This is not our stuff. It's God's stuff. And God says, you know what? I'm going to loan you my stuff. You may have it for 50 years. You may have it for 80 years. You may have it for 12. I don't know how long, but here's my stuff. I'm going to give you some of my stuff. And, uh, and, and so, 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 you, so God loans you his stuff. It's still his stuff. And when you go, to, when you go see him after you die, he's going to say, what would you do with my stuff? And, and, and you come bringing it back to him all dented and beat up and misused. And it's, it's that, it's that it's a little eye-opener, isn't it? Reasons to get your finances in order. Number one, to be a good steward of God's property. Of God's property. Because we are going to give an account of what we did with what God gave us. Number two is because it relieves stress. It relieves Stress. Because, because you have an emergency fund. We talked about an emergency fund. Remember, first of all, we're trying to get a, just a, 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 a $1,000 together, some way, somehow, just $1,000. Have a garage sale or sell you know, some, a few things or whatever. Get together $1,000. You have an emergency fund. And, and then after you, after you do that, you start working on, your, on, on getting... getting uh, some things paid for, then try and develop three to six months of wages tucked aside so for emergency funds, cause for an emer- a better emergency fund, because emergencies are going to come. They just happen. My wife went to Oklahoma over the weekend for, uh, for a cousin reunion, to meet with some cousins. They had, they had a reunion. On the way home, she had a blowout. Because she had a blowout, she had to put, a good Samaritan came by and changed her tire for her, but she drove home on that little donut. While she's driving home, every light in the dash started coming on, the engine light, the, this light, that light. There's like three lights going off. So she thinks her car's about to blow up, you know. So anyway, long story short, she limps in here, okay? So, but, but I'm not upset. 
I mean, first of all, I mean, you shouldn't be, but I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that if, if we were broke, I'd be upset. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? But I knew, worst case scenario, we're okay because we got an emergency fund. We got money set aside. It's not going to cause us problems. So the good news is, I, first I took it to Discount Tire. They replaced the tire. As soon as I got a real tire, regular tire on there, all the lights went off because it's, the, the car is back stabilized. and I don't know what it has to do with all those lights, but it does. But, but it could have been something serious, you know. But there wasn't any stress there. Now, there was stress for her driving home, because, but, but what I'm saying, there was no financial stress there because, okay, if it's a blowout, first of all, you know, I can afford to buy a new tire to put on the car. But you know what? There was a time I couldn't. Okay, so there's something wrong with the engine. Okay, so they have to overhaul the engine. Okay, I don't like that. It's not fun. I'm not happy. But you know what? It's not going to bankrupt me. I can pay the bill. I have some margin. Get your finances in order because it relieves stress. Number three, it helps your marriage. The number one cause of divorce, financial problems. All you need is love. Da, 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 da. All you need is love. Bull. People don't get divorced because they don't love each other anymore. Sometimes they do. But most people get divorced because they fight constantly over financial issues. Yeah, you need love, but you need more than love. It helps your marriage. Reasons to get your finances in order. Number four, it gives you options. Options. Fifth reason you ought to get your finances in order is the joy of giving. The joy of giving. The other day I was talking to uh, my mom and my dad and on the phone, and uh, they're elderly. My dad's 85, mom's 83, and, or will be in, June, in, in uh, July. And... Uh, and they said, and they weren't asking for anything. They weren't, it wasn't misleading, whatever. They were, in the course of the conversation, they said, yeah, our, our dishwasher went out in the house. And uh, so we're doing dishes by hand. We're learning how to do dishes again. Honestly, they didn't have $300 to put the dishwasher in. I said, I'm going to send you a check for $300 so you can go get a dishwasher and get it put in. It's fun to do something for your parents that can't do for themselves. It's fun to do something for your kids when they can't do it for themselves. It's a whole lot of fun to do stuff for your grandkids. The joy of giving. I'm not, I'm not talking about tithing right now. That. I'm talking, and I'm not even talking about even giving, you know, to missions and all that stuff. That's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful too. But it's just wonderful to see somebody struggle and just walk up and give them a hundred dollar bill. Or your aged parents send them three hundred bucks so they don't have to wash dishes by hand. It's wonderful. It's fun. It's fun. You can't do that if you're upside down financially. You can't do that if you're stressed to the max financially. Number six, reason to get your finances in order is the opportunities you get to go places, do things, enjoy life. All right, any other questions we might have. Tonight's kind of been kind of scattered and kind of shotgun, kind of a little this and a little that. 
we'll have a little more, uh, a little better target next uh, next week. But I think we said some good things. Hopefully that will that will help you. Oh, let me close with this. I got I'm I'm a little I'm really about on time, but I'm always l- run over. So um, remember, a few weeks ago I talked to you about the fact that you have money that you don't know about. And you can find that, uh, and, and one, of the, one of the things I said was, was through coupons, okay? And evidently, I'd forgotten about this. I should have used it then, but I told you that Priscilla, our youth pastor's wife, is the cu- coupon princess. I think Trina Anderson might be the cu- coupon queen. But anyway, a few years ago when I did the, or yeah, a year or two ago, whenever it was when I did this another time, um, I had Priscilla just write some things down here, how she does for coupons, just so you know, just from her perspective and how it's done. But Priscilla writes here, and she says, CVS is where I get most of my deals. They give back a percent of, of what you spend. So it's like getting paid to shop. Uh, with their in-store cash back coupled with their coupons and manufacturer coupons, I get really good deals. She said, I once bought around $35 worth of makeup, only paid $4. Ain't a bad deal, huh? She says, I look for sales and clearance items and then apply my coupons to the sales and clearance items. She said, I have waited in line behind a young family at CVS who had a $245 shopping bill and they only paid four cents. We're not talking pennies here. We're talking about somebody who saved $244.96. She said, it is very rare that I don't cut my grocery bill in half with coupons. I can easily have my $80 grocery bill turn into a $40 grocery bill by looking in the store circulars and matching coupons with store sales. She said, if you don't have time for couponing and would still like to save money, I would suggest collecting only necessity coupons such as toothpaste, toilet paper, detergent, etc., and keep an eye out for when those items go on sale. She writes, I saved my toothpaste coupons till they went on sale at Kroger and I got 12 tubes of toothpaste free. I did the same for whisk detergent, which is normally around $7, and I got six bottles at $1.66 a piece. She writes, I go grocery shopping every week at Kroger's, and I have their saving card. Their savings card keeps track of my shopping habits, and they send me Kroger coupons based on my shopping shopping habits that I can also uh, couple with manufacturer coupons. They also send me coupons for free items. So they send her stuff in the mail or on email to come and get stuff for free. And she goes and just picks up the free stuff. They have given me free bacon, toothpaste, a bag of Dole salad, and that's just to name a few. So there are, you have money you don't know about, You just need to be a little smarter, a little wiser, a little more frugal. Stop being too prideful, thinking that only prideful people or only poor people use coupons. No, smart people do. Questions to ask yourself, have I set a financial goal? Second question, do I have a a plan in place that will take me to my destination? Number three, am I thankful for and faithful with what I already have? Because why would God want to give me more if I, don't have, if I don't even handle what I have correctly? Number four, am I going to do anything with the information and teaching I have received the past seven weeks? Okay, do I know my destination? How can I get there if I don't even know where I'm going?
Proverbs 6, verse 6 through 11 says, Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you ever wake up? A little extra sleep, a little extra slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Learn from the ant. They do a little bit over time and store up. And then when they cannot work, they have something. And the time's going to come when we can no longer work or the time's going to come when we are no longer going to be wanted because we're too old. Even though we're not too old, they think we're too old. Or because we're in our because, because we have been there so long and we've gotten all the raises and bonuses and promotions and whatever, I'm, we're making too much money, and so, they, and so they cut us loose and hire somebody half our age for half our salary. And it's going to happen to every one of us eventually. So we better be smart, and we better do what we can with what we have, and we better make plans over a long period of time. Okay? Father, thank you for... The principles that we've received, not just tonight, but throughout these last seven weeks, help us, Lord, to apply them. Father, help us to become doers of your word and not hearers only. Father, in Jesus' name, amen.